You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for the March 13th, Monday, reading of the Loveland Reporter Herald. My name is Paula Vaughn. Taking a look at the front page of the Reporter Herald, and starting with the five questions column, P.G. Langsfelder lived his life by the pen. P.G. Langsfelder has lived a varied life, but there's been one thing uniting all the disparate places and occupations, writing. The subjects of his attention vary between the more mercenary, writing ad copy for a successful agency in his birthplace of New York City, to the artistic, making music and hanging with acid heads and people whose names are now recognizable to anybody with any sense of American rock and roll during a stint in the music scene in the early 1970s San Francisco. Now, after bouncing back and forth across the country more than once, Langsfelder has settled down in Loveland, where he has just released A Bounty of Bone, the second volume in his critically acclaimed Eunice Trilogy and is continuing work on the third. The book, which follows the story of Eunice, a young woman with a variety of traits that make her uncomfortable to look at and subject to superstition and alienation, is Langfelter's way of getting thoughts of beauty, identity, acceptance, and society off of his chest, as well as delivering what bestthrillers.com described as a jaw-dropping suspense thriller that is unlike anything you've ever read. We caught up with Langsfelder to talk art, music, his characters, and what ties them all together. Question 1. You've been in a number of very different careers, but the one constant through all of them has been writing. Talk about its presence in your life even before you became a novelist. My f- His answer... My father was a celebrated composer and playwright in Europe, but he wasn't a great listener. I found my best way to communicate was writing. When my parents gave me a toy printing press, I talked my next-door neighbor, Anne-Marie, into co-editing a neighborhood newspaper with me. I was seven. We sold ten subscriptions at five cents apiece. I had readers. A journalism major in college, I started as a copywriter in New York in a New York advertising agency. Later, I co-wrote a best-selling non-fiction book and wrote articles for newspapers, magazines, and stories for radio. I started a band in Boulder and wrote the original tunes. In San Francisco, I began writing and directing TV documentaries on social issues, AIDS, the environment. But when corporate TV began to limit the substantive issues I switched careers and, needing money, fell into a job as a national trial consultant, using my writing and storytelling skills to assist attorneys in presenting their stories to juries, and to keep those juries engaged throughout the trial. Now I get to tell the stories I want to tell. Question 2. The protagonist of your book series is somebody very different than yourself. What themes and experiences underlie your characters and their lives? His answer, I tend to root for the underdog. I wondered how, in a country like ours, where beauty is a fixation, would a grotesque-looking young woman fare? Despite being bright, gifted, and curious, how could she flourish despite the superstitious abuse she receives? 
In my travels, I've met so many people with major conflicts in their lives, from blind gospel singers trying to make their way in the world, to men and women conflicted about their identity. All my characters are real to me. I've met them, or someone like them. Their struggles are not unlike mine and yours. In the Eunice trilogy, Eunice is every man. How does she overcome her obstacles? I don't know until I write. Question 3. How do you research your subjects? His answer. Almost everything in my novels is real, even though at first it may seem preposterous. That's how fast the world is changing. The first thing I do is immerse myself in the locations and culture of my novel. In Beautiful to the Bone, Eunice grew up, grows up in rural Bemidji, Minnesota. So I traveled there and spent three weeks meeting people, talking to the historical society, and cruising the terrain. As Eunice grows, she is fascinated by many things, taxidermy, genetics, the scientific parameters of beauty. Before this novel, I knew nothing about those subjects, so I researched them extensively. In the newest novel, A Bounty of Bone, much of the action takes place in Tanzania. I'd planned to travel there, but COVID detoured me. I'm not young enough to put off writing a book for two plus years. What I didn't know about the land, the politics, the hyenas, the superstitions, I researched thoroughly. Then I spoke to the experts on albinism and hyenas and local superstitions. I research everything. Question 4. You spent time in the San Francisco music scene. Any interesting interactions that you can talk about? His answer. So many and some better left buried, but I was lucky enough to become casual acquaintances with the Jefferson Airplane. I spent considerable time in recording studios on my own as a composer, producer, the first to bring Huey Lewis and the News into a studio when they were known as Clover. One day, 1973, taking a break from what I was recording, Grace Slick and Paul Kantner were recording overdubs in another studio for their upcoming Baron Von Tollbooth LP. They asked me if I'd do some clapping on a track with a few others, including Craig Chiquico, who later became a member of the Jefferson Starship. There were already enough hands, so I told Grace I'd hang out in the control room gallery. I was alone. Enter a guy who introduced himself as Bear. He and I talked for about 45 minutes, maybe an hour. Then he left. With the clapping track done, everyone dispersed, and Grace asked me what I thought of Usley, the legendary and notorious perfecter and distributor of LSD. I said, I've never met him. Grace laughed and said, you've just spent the last hour talking to him. And question five. Music and writing might not seem to have much in common, but they're more similar than people might think. Where do you see the similarities as somebody who has spent lots of time in both worlds? His answer? There's no question that music and writing are from the same family. They both depend on rhythm and space. James Taylor and Elizabeth Strout come easily to us because they use those elements in a fluid way. Other musicians and writers can surprise you with unique technique that scrambles those essentials. If you listen to John Coltrane or Joni Mitchell or read Ivan Doig or Robertson Davies, they have a cadence all their own. It may take a few listens or readings to get into their meter, but it's well worth the time. Again, this was an interview with P.G. Langsfelder, 76 years old, and has lived in Loveland for two years. 
Now turning to state legislature news. Substance-free seating. Bill for sports and concerts would set national precedent. Co-sponsors Priola, DeGry Kennedy say the market is deeply underserved. State legislators this week plan to vote on a bill that would require substance-free seating for Colorado sporting events and concerts at venues with more than 7,000 seats, including stadiums, arenas, and amphitheaters. Senate Bill 23-171, introduced February 27th by Colorado Senator Kevin Priola and Representative Chris DeGray Kennedy, would require venues such as Ball Arena, Coors Field, Red Rocks Amphitheater, and Empower Field at Mile High to offer 4% of their audience capacity as substance-free seating, where alcohol, tobacco, and other substances would be banned. The bill addresses the need for families and people in addiction recovery to have uh, substance-free spaces at sporting events and concerts, co-sponsor Priola said Friday, and is part of a growing national movement toward such spaces. The bill would also set a national precedent as the first of its type in the country, although some sports stadiums, including Coors Field, already offer small, alcohol-free sections for families. There's a growing sober community and segment of the market that isn't being represented, Priola said. In the U.S., 9% of people at any one time are trying to recover from addiction, and if you add in families that don't want a bunch of people partaking around them, 4% is completely reasonable. If passed, failure to comply with the bill would be basis for refusal or denial of an alcohol beverage license renewal or initial license issuance and other forms of license-related discipline, according to the bill's text. Priola has been working with sports teams and venues owners to build support for the bill and has people lined up to endorse it at its late-week hearing, he said. If passed, the bill would take effect in 2026, giving teams and venues and promoters time to work with season ticket holders who might be affected by the new seating areas, as well as other legal and logistical concerns. Colorado's Liquor and Enforcement declined to comment on the proposed bill, saying that the governor's office would weigh in only if it passes. Denver-based concert promoter AEG Presents Rocky Mountains also declined to comment on the potential effect on ticket prices and seating layouts. Complicating the bill is the fact that most Colorado sports and concert venues have maintained sponsorship deals with liquor and beer companies. In addition, beer, liquor, and wine consumption is up year over year in Colorado as of 2020, according to data from the Pro Industry Beverage Information Group and Park Street Analyses. The Colorado Department of Revenue also showed a general upward trend in liquor excise taxes since 2016, according to a recent report. The bill would have unintended negative consequences for Colorado restaurants and bars, according to Colin Larson, Director of Government Affairs at the Colorado Restaurant Association. While we applaud the underlying goal of supporting people in recovery, this bill would create an unreasonable and unsustainable situation for independent food and beverage vendors with stadium locations, endangering their businesses and their employees' livelihoods, he said in a statement provided to the Denver Post. This bill would punish these operators for circumstances outside of their control, as they have no way to police where customers go after they purchase an alcohol beverage in a stadium setting.
Larson said. The unintended consequences here put stadium employees and vendors at great disadvantage, opening the door for customer complaints and lost revenue. The bill would not affect off-premise alcohol consumption or sales, according to its language, but it would still represent a further decaying of the state's liquor industry, said Chris Fine, executive director of the Colorado Licensed Beverage Association. We deal with off-premise sales and mom-and-pop liquor stores, but I know that addressing addiction is a big passion project of Senator Piola, Fine said. However, we did just see billions of out-of-state dollars come in trying to eradicate our industry in relation to wine sales at grocery stores, which began March 1st, so this would just be another eroding effect. Priola said the, bar, the bill's bar may seem high, but that public health campaigns against cigarettes, vaping, and other addictive substances have succeeded in the past, and that his bill has the same potential. I've done a lot with opioid legislation and other substance-related committees, and what I've learned in that time, especially working with the CU Anschutz Medical Center, is that alcohol use disorder is the biggest one out there. It just happens to be the most socially acceptable, he said. Walking through magnetometers and undergoing other rigorous security checks at public events seemed draconian 20 years ago, Priola said, and now it's standard. People can be retrained. But taking his own kids to sporting events and seeing unruly, substance-driven behavior also inspired the bill, Priola said. He acknowledged the enforcement would be complicated and that passage is likely an uphill battle given the lack of response from liquor industry players. He said he'll introduce it as many times as necessary until it passes. There there's already mechanisms at venues to report issues with rowdy attendees, and this would piggyback on that, he said. But I think large entertainment venues, most of which are publicly funded, could look at this as a market opportunity to serve a broader customer base. And in Colorado news, most young Coloradans want rent stabilization. In 10 counties with most young renters, at least 40% say they paid more than 30% of income toward housing. A new survey details how Colorado's rent prices keep the state's young residents from seeking medical care, buying groceries, and pursuing a college degree, and it found a majority of young Coloradans support rent stabilization policies. The survey, released Monday by progressive youth advocacy organization New Era Colorado, polled 506 Coloradans between 18 and 34 and was weighted by gender, race, ethnicity, education, and voter registration to match the characteristics of Colorado's 18 to 34-year-old population based on data from the U.S. Census Bureau, according to New Era Colorado. We are creating an environment in Colorado where we're radicalizing young people to get involved in politics because if they can't afford to live, pay their medical debt, their student loans, then people are going to start getting involved to change that, said Tash Berwick, New Era Colorado political director. A map produced by New Era Colorado using Census Bureau data illustrates a breakdown of Colorado counties by the number of young people cost-burdened by rent, paying more than 30% of their income toward housing, New Era Colorado said. In Colorado's 10 counties with the most young renters, at least 40% paid more than 30% of their income toward housing, New Era found, including 60% of young households in Boulder County, 52% in El Paso County, and 42% in Denver. 
In 17 of Colorado's 64 counties, at least half of households paid unaffordable rent, New Era found. Young people are saying loud and clear, and Governor Polis agrees, that rent is too damn high in Colorado, said Nicole Hensel, executive director of New Era Colorado, in a news release. This survey shows that young people across the state increasingly can't afford to live here, giving up careers, families, and futures in Colorado. Young people deserve to live where their lives are, she said. How does that housing unaffordability impact Colorado's young adults? New Era's survey found nearly 25% of surveyed youth neglected a medical appointment. 19% went without a behavioral health appointment to make rent. About 34% of young people skipped groceries to pay rent. About 26% of those surveys passed up an opportunity for a college degree to pay for housing. Nearly 40% of young people said they planned to leave Colorado to find more affordable housing. These survey results matter, Berwick said, because they show legislators what their constituents want. Young Coloradans, who New Era said comprised the largest voting bloc in the state and turnout in record numbers, want to see bold action, Berwick said, no matter their political party. Almost 8 in 10, or 81%, of young people supported giving local... Uh, governments the option to place limits on how much landlords can raise rent each year, including almost half or 48 percent of young Republicans surveyed and 96 percent of young Democrats in Colorado. At the Capitol, we often get really stuck in these binaries about which party is so far left and which is so far right, but when you look at the data, the policies people really want are more bipartisan than we think, Berwick said. When asked whether they would support or oppose rent stabilization policies that would ensure renters have reasonable, predictable rents, 91% of survey respondents supported rent stabilization policies, including 68% of Republican respondents and 97% of Democrat respondents. Young adults are especially hard hit by outrageous rent prices charged by some greedy corporate landlords, said Carmen Medrano, the co-chair of Colorado Homes for All. When four out of ten young people say they won't be able to stay in the communities they grew up in because they can't afford housing, we have a real problem, she said. Turning to obituaries from Kibby Fishburn Funeral Home, Brenda Mahoney of Loveland, Cremation. Bradley McLemory of Lunn, Cremation. Juanita Williams of Milliken, Cremation. No services are scheduled. From Vigat Funeral Home, Robert Albert of Loveland, Celebration of Life, April 1st, from 1 to 3 p.m. at Crow Hop Brewery in Loveland. Kelly Green of Loveland, Cremation, No Services. Florence Renner of Loveland, Graveside Service, March 20th, 2 p.m. at Fort McPherson National Cemetery in Maxwell, Nebraska. And now turning to the calendar, we have an ongoing event. Volunteer Income Tax Assistance Program from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. at House of Neighborly Service Life Center, 1511 East 11th Street in Loveland. Volunteers will help those who qualify fill out their tax forms for this year. First come, first served. Capacity depends on the number of volunteers available. This runs Mondays through Thursdays through April 18th. That website is vitaloveland.org. And today, Monday... Larimer County Workforce Job Help appointments are available from 1 to 4 p.m. this afternoon 
at Loveland Public Library, 300 North Adams Avenue in Loveland. For information, call 970-498-6600 to set up an appointment. And tonight, Monday night, Texas Hold'em from 7 to 10.30 p.m. at Boise Tavern, 1475 North Boise Avenue, number 4 in Loveland. This is free. And on Tuesday, St. Matthew's Medical Clinic from 6 to 9 p.m. at House of Neighborly Service Life Center at 1511 East 11th Street in Loveland. This is a nonprofit faith-based organization established to provide free medical services to children and adults in the community with acute and chronic diseases. Appointments can be made by calling 970-624-3425 and leaving a message. Their website is stmatthewsmedicalclinic.org. Saint is spelled S-T. Also Tuesday, open jazz jam session from 7.30 to 10 p.m. at Poor House, 124 East 4th Street in Loveland with the Poor House Jazz Trio. And there is Tuesday night bingo at 7 p.m. at Bingo Planet, 281 East 29th Street in Loveland. This benefits the Fort Collins Lions Club charitable activities. And it costs $8.00. Brewery Bingo is Tuesday evening from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. at Big Thompson Brewery, 114 East 15th Street in Loveland. It's free. And Tuesday is free to play Texas Hold'em from 6.30 to 10.30 p.m. at Mountain Cowboy Brewing Company, 6402 Union Creek Drive in Loveland. For information, call 720-937-4691 or email pokerpal24 at gmail.com. On Tuesday, we have some story times. Preschool story time from 10 to 10.30 a.m. for up to age 5. Baby and toddler story time from 11 to 11.30 a.m. for up to age 3. Both are at the Loveland Public Library, 300 North Adams Avenue in Loveland, and both are free. And on Tuesday, the Loveland Mountain Club will hike Devil's Backbone uh, which is between 2.6 and 4 miles of a hike, contact Cindy at cbrown7417 at icloud.com for details and to sign up. Non-members are welcome. Also Tuesday, Tour de Pie at 5.30 p.m. beginning at Retreat Bakery, 2601 South LeMay Avenue, Unit 21 in Fort Collins, and ending at Purpose Brewing and Cellars, 4025 South Mason Street, Unit C. Bike riders will wind through town for about 10 miles, enjoying the perfect ratio of pie and beverage along the way on the day inspired by math. Helmets and lights are required. Rules of the road must be observed, and registration is $40. And on Wednesday, Mindfulness Practices for Peace of Mind and Body from 11 a.m. to noon at Loveland Public Library, 300 North Adams Avenue in Loveland. Deanna O'Connell will lead a guided meditation and breath work and offer 10 practices to maintain positivity in your daily life. Registration is required. Call 970-495-8565 to sign up. Also Wednesday, South Larimer Discussion Group of the League of Women Voters of Larimer County Planning Session from 7 to 8.30 p.m. via Zoom. Members will share ideas for upcoming meeting topics, focusing on issues of importance for the League and the perspectives of South Larimer County residents. This is open to the public. Pre-registration is required. To register and receive the Zoom link, go to the calendar page at the website lwv County. Org. And taking a look at the weather for the week, today's high is forecasted to reach 51 degrees with a low of 29. 
And Tuesday, even warmer. Same with Wednesday. Both of those days, the high is predicted to be 62 degrees. The low on Tuesday, 36, mostly cloudy and warmer. And the low on Wednesday, 30 degrees with a shower in the afternoon. On Thursday, it's going to be chilly again with a high predicted of 37 degrees, a low of 20, very windy, and there will be showers around, they think. And on Friday, warming up a tad with a high of 43 degrees, but a chilly low of 18 degrees. And that's all we have time for today. Thank you for joining us for the Loveland Reporter Herald. My name is Paula Vaughn. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.